0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. This week, I turned my attention to the movies, specifically 1986's classic coming-of-age tale, Stand By Me, based on the novella The Body, found within the collection Different Seasons. Now, Different Seasons was published in 1982, and from its pages, three movies were adapted, Two of these three adaptations are considered classics, and not just classics, but good films, capital G, capital F. These adaptations, of course, are The Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me. Now let's look at 1986, the time of the movie's release. Let's look at the year and see if we can contextualize what Stephen King means to the world at this point. By the end of the year, he will have published 22 books. Of those 22 books, 11 have been adapted. This is Stephen King firmly entrenched as a pop culture icon, a tour de force, if you will. So Stephen King is a phenomenon, the brand, the most popular author of his time. He's making reading fun for all ages and is known by this point as the master of horror. And then Rob Reiner released Stand By Me. And the image that the general audience had of Stephen King, that of the, the, the lurking monster who gnawed on the bones of children, was instantly challenged. Because... How could Stephen King, the man responsible for the the, the, the image of the blood-drenched Carrie White, the alcoholic-abusive father in The Shining, who killed off half the human race in The Stand, who killed that boy in Cujo, how could that man be responsible for this elegant discovery of self in this universally beloved coming-of-age tale? Surely there has to be some mistake. At this time, Stand By Me holds a 95% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, Um, and an 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. And anecdotally, I've never met anyone who dislikes this movie. And many people I know, uh, King and non-King fans alike, absolutely love this movie. I think that Stand By Me did wonders for Stephen King's image. You know, it it bucked his image of the master of horror and, and demonstrated that his talents weren't relegated to cemeteries and haunted houses. As I've stated on multiple occasions, one of King's strengths is his ability to create a sense of authenticity in his works, and that authenticity isn't bound to any one genre. See, this coming of age tale is something that has been done to death at this point, right? I, I just I feel like every coming of age story that was released post Stand by Me, intentionally or unintentionally, has mimicked elements from this movie, which ultimately comes from, you know, the body, the the standby the, the stand by me adaptation. Um you know, and, and you know i mean i for whatever reason when i when i was watching stand by me i was thinking a lot of super 8 by uh jj abrams which came out a couple years ago and and that movie was was meant to invoke the amblin entertainment movies um you know of the 80s you know your movies like uh you know the goonies right um but as i was watching stand by me i just kept thinking about um about super eight I, I just i just feel like even though jj was going for that for the the production um of the production company uh Ambulent entertainment I, I feel like intentionally or unintentionally he was drawing a lot from what was done here in, in stand by me and I, I just feel like the coming of age tale has become a popularized genre um i think it's something that that you know, uh, film directors and writers can go to, um, because I think that there's something about this particular story that that speaks to us. We want to be able to look back on our own past. We want to to hear what someone has to say about childhood. You know, at the time that this came out, Stephen King was speaking of the time when he was a child, right? Um, So it had that nostalgic lens that was very um, personal to him. You know, now we see a lot of of coming-of-age tales set... Um, you know, in the 80s or even the 90s, right? Um, but it's something that I think speaks to to a lot of people. So going back to, to contextualizing Stephen King at this point in time, right? This novel, com- or this movie comes out at the height of, of Stephen King, like I said, being a phenomenon in a pop, uh, pop culture tour de force. And while it simultaneously showed the world that he can do more than horror, I think that it's also very interesting to note that the year that it was released, it was released in the year that he published what I probably would say is his purest form of horror um, mixed with everything that's included within Stand By Me. Because in 1986, not only did this movie come out, but a novel came out that I think took Stand By Me and showed that Stand By Me was really just a rough draft for the novel that I'm talking about here, and that novel is It. I think that everything that is included in Stand By Me is found within It, and it's expanded upon, and it's explored deeper, Um, and I just find it fascinating that 1986 coincided this, um, this intersection of his career where he published it which is his distillation of all of his his tropes and musings and and everything he has to say about the horror genre and everything he has to say about childhood so everything that he had worked on from this point comes to a head in it and it's just like he explodes in this year and his potential just knows no bounds you know i mean we thought up until this point that he he couldn't do anymore, that he'd almost done it all. Um, And no one would be surprised or blame him if he just kind of started coasting or resting on his laurels. But the exact opposite happened. He challenged himself. um, And and this year was the year to to show that he could do so much, that he could be responsible for a coming-of-age tale that is free of supernatural elements. While at the same time, Telling another coming of age tale that is loaded with supernatural elements and whose supernatural elements somehow make the coming of age that much more special and that much more real, despite the unreality of it. So nineteen eighty six was a huge year for for Stephen King and, and I find them I'm, I'm getting a little bit off um, track here talking about eighty six, but I and of course I'm gonna spend a lot of time when when it comes out during the the that particular episode whenever i get there and who knows at this point when that will be but when that time comes i will definitely talk every thought that i've ever had about it will come out during that podcast um in the meantime let's let's focus on what rob reiner did here um for for stand by me uh so let's look at it from the very beginning it establishes itself as something separate from his other adaptations I think that, and it's presented with an elegance that I haven't seen before yet. You know, right away the film is silent. It's silent. You don't hear a thing. The screen is black, and there's no fanfare. There's no effects. There's no score when the title comes up. It's all there. Everything that's there is just what needs to be there. Stand by me, white letters, black backdrop. Rob Reiner knows what he has on his hands. All right, he doesn't need to. Hook you this way. He knows that the stories and the characters are gonna hook you. And he, when this happened, I just kept thinking about movies today and how much special effects go into the credits themselves. It's it's really excessive at this point, and I just it's contrast against um, what Rob Rayner did. And I like I said, there's a lot of elegance to it. Now, it, it fades out of black, and we immediately meet Richard Dreyfus, um, who's sitting in his truck. Among the tall grass, and then what had been silent before starts to change. the The gentle score kicks in, an instrumental version of Benny King's "Stand by Me." Richard Dreyfuss is he's sitting uncomfortably. All right, no words are spoken, but it is clear that he's wrestling with something. And the newspaper beside him beside him uh, reveals that an attorney has been stabbed to death. Now we infer that he's affected by the news, but yet at this time we, we don't know why. And we're less than a minute in, but Rob Reiner has already hooked us, all right? You know, the the information, if we've read the book, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we know what's going to happen, you know? And, and, and the same information is included in the novella. But it happens at the end, right? Chris's death is something that doesn't come about— the information doesn't come about to us until the end of the novella. But by placing it in the front, it engages the audience for a deeper experience, And we are compelled to continue to follow the story in order to find out why this happened, why this matters. You know, who this character is, why is he sitting in this truck, why is he affected by this newspaper. Um, It's a very effective choice on the part of Rob Reiner. Uh, And what Rob Reiner is able to do right away, okay, with Richard Dreyfuss sitting there, he's able to establish the tone. All right, there is a beauty to this movie, you know, and that was, I was just, you know, talking to, to, to my wife about it, I said, you know, the other day, you know, I, I, I said, I watched, you know, Stand By Me, we talked about it a little bit, and, you know, I said that I hadn't seen it in a long time, um, and the, the first, thing, I thought that, okay, so actually, I'm gonna back up, I, I was actually kind of pushing off watching this movie for the review, um, because this is actually the, the last of the, the, um, the different seasons um, reviews that I'm doing, right? Uh, and having read Shawshank, having read Apt pupil, having read, um, you know, the the the, the body, and I'm watching Stand by Me, I, I was I was not looking forward to actually reading um, the body because I just felt like it has been so entrenched in our pop culture, and I, I had seen it. I don't want to say so many times, but it, it's definitely something I've seen multiple occasions. I thought that it wouldn't, I thought that it would just be cliched, and I thought that it would be cheesy. And I think that there are times when it is a little, not cheesy in, in, in a sense of like poor quality, but there's definitely times I think that's cheesy in terms of feel-goodery. Uh, but it's beautiful. I mean, Stand By Me is a classic, and I think that, anyone i think that deserves that title classic because it is um an incredible piece of film that is done wonderfully and part of that has to do with the location and not just location but how rob reiner is able to film that location it's incredible it is a beautiful looking movie there is a beauty to this landscape and going back to the tone which is so important the tone if if he didn't nail this tone the, the movie would be whatever you know who who cares i think there's been a lot of imitators and copycats since stand by me but stand by me is stand by me because of of the i and i've, I've used this word to death but the authenticity of it and that authenticity comes from the tone of it and that's captured right away with the la- the, the landscape right and this character here just lost in his thoughts um and that combined with the score which is nostalgic right, and it's perfect. It's perfect. Now, keep in mind that the movie's released in in, in 1986, and Stand By Me um, came out in 1961. All right, the simple inclusion of the song invokes the feelings of looking back into the past that the character is feeling at that moment. All right, it's a brilliant decision on Rob Reiner's part, not just to retitle the story, but to build it around the song because it harkens back to that character's own past. And then we have our own connotations and our own memories with that sign and we are able to go back into the past with him and stand by me of course like the title just means everything to the story itself um, to be perfectly honest, if, if they had stuck with the, 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 the title of The Body, I think that it would have, you know, left us feeling a little bit cold, right? Because it does, yes, they have to go to the body, and at the end, the, the you know, the, the reveal is that, you know, Chris is dead, and he is also the body. And, you know, we mourn for Chris, but life goes on, and, you know, th- there is that, certainly. But Stand By Me is, is definitely more heartwarming, and uh, I think that that... I think that was definitely a good choice on Rob Reiner's part. Um, and while sitting in the truck, um, Richard Dreyfuss' truck, two boys ride by, right? And that might as well just be the, the ghosts of his past riding by. <laughs> and we flash back to his past, um, to Castle Rock. you know, Now a place within Oregon, not Maine, but it, is, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just the, the, the town is beautiful. And I think that in order for this story to work we have to find a certain beauty in childhood. You know, We need to be able to look past and see it for everything that it is. We And right now for the boys, they're on this cusp of adulthood. So adulthood is frightening and it needs to, to have some menace to it and that's definitely manifested itself. But at the same time, it also still needs to have that, that innocence of childhood. And I think that the innocence of childhood um, is recreated through just the landscapes um of this town and 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 the the fields and the trees and the rivers um everything it's just like i've said i'm going to say it again this is a beautiful beautiful movie to look at we are introduced to the treehouse right away and it's the the you know, I, I had talked about Horns, and you know, the Horns had the treehouse of the mind, and and this um, is almost like the treehouse of the mind. This is just kind of the the the, the pure version of of what you think a treehouse would be. It looks like that. If you close your eyes and and picture the perfect childhood treehouse, that's what it looks like. And and we see it, and we meet the boys, and they're all perfectly captured um, by their respective actors. We have Will Wheaton as Gordon. We have Corey Feldman as Teddy. We have Jerry O'Connell as Vern, and and most famously, of course, is is River Phoenix as Chris. Um, the story just progresses, you know, I, just just like Stephen King's did. Um, you know, Vern relates how he heard about the body from his brother while hiding under the porch, and Reiner includes little touches that that keep it light. From Vern wiping his face, you know, from the dust, you know, that that comes down. Um, you know, and there's these great camera shots. Like, there, there's one where Vern is looking through the the lattice porch, uh, the, the porch lattice. Um, and it's just the the way that the camera is framed, like a little diagonal. Um, it's great, you know. And then, you know, later on, there, there's uh Chris and Gordy's reaction. You know, when 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 the gun goes off, um, a surprise they are. You know, it's just great. It's great. You know, he's able to, to balance the the whimsy of the story, um, you know, with the, the more serious elements. And then the boys, you know, they make the plan to head out for the body. Um, and we're given the thrust of Gordy's issues at home and how he's constantly forced to live under the shadow of his brother, who, look, in a brilliant casting move, is played by John Cusack. From a metatextual level... Uh, this is a casting decision that in retrospect works wonders you know who better to throw a shadow on gordy than the guy of the 1980s john cusack himself right um now at the time of this movie john cusack wasn't john cusack he had made um better off dead right but i think that it was probably say say anything that really cemented him um you know as john cusack uh but still, looking back now, this movie is very much an '80s movie, even though it is set in in the '60s. Um, but you know, for everyone that that grew up in the '80s, it's definitively a, a part of 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 our own childhoods because of it. Um, and it's just, I think that it's it's great casting. It just works to have John Cusack play Denny. Now, there's a difference here between movie Denny and uh, novella Denny. Um, and the movie Denny is is closer to Gordy um, in the story uh, than he is in the novella. You know, looking out for him and, and being proud of his stories. Um, in the in King's story, he was close, but he no, I'm sorry, he wasn't even close. I mean, he was in his life, but at one point, Gordy makes the point of of saying that an actor could have died, um, and basically he equated the the fact that the the actor's death wouldn't necessarily have affected him the same way but um I don't think he was close to Denny um which makes it a um there's uh it's a different flavor right it's a different flavor of loss um but anyway there's John Cusack great casting great casting choice and just as brilliant as the casting of John Cusack is Kiefer Sutherland Right? As Ace Merrill. Now, Sutherland, look, whose sharp features and black-clad clothes are, at the time, soon to make him a star with The Lost Boys, um, which comes out in 87. And it's his next movie. Uh, he is a malevolent force of harm in this movie. It's great. Um, and then, just so you know, Ace Merrill uh, returns in Stephen King, in the Stephen King universe, in uh, Needful Things, and... Um, And when I go back to reread that for the King cast, I wonder if I'm going to picture, you know, uh, an older uh, Kiefer Sutherland in my head. Uh, Now, just as he did with the opening, you know, Reiner makes a slight change to the narrative, introducing Ace earlier than King had. Because in the novella, we don't see Ace until the very end of the story, whereas here, his villainy is established right up front. His bullying becomes clear um, and personal to the story, as he takes Gordy's hat, the same hat given by his brother. And we're also treated to the scene in which they're playing mailbox baseball, which illustrates the delinquency of the characters, but like I said, um, you know, it keeps the story of light. Now, there's two incredibly famous scenes from this movie, right? The train on the bridge and the leeches, and both capture everything that King had been going for, but Reiner manages to somehow out-King-King at his own game. The train scene in particular is filled with so much tension. The river so far below the bridge. When Gordy spots the black smoke pouring from the treetops, it's a truly, truly terrifying moment. And it's just so well done. Um, now, Reiner, look, he also makes a decision that I wish that King had uh, made in the novella by removing the Chico story. Uh, in the movie, he includes the lard-ass Hogan story, and it's a fun little reprieve from the narrative Just a fun moment that shows Gordy's storytelling prowess, and the fact that it's presented with the story beat of a fixed boxing match, you know, with the challenger who won't go down makes it even more absurd. You know, there's just there's a huge absurdity to it, and it's it's hilarious, you know. And it it's just it's a nice little filmmaking exercise. It's just it's a little bit of a spice that just kind of you know makes the movie stand out. It it does everything it's supposed to. It it shows you know Vern and and Teddy. Not really understanding um, you know storytelling and not necessarily appreciating Gordy's talents and it, it's showing the the rift that will soon happen um, you know it, 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 it's great and you know the the story continues. you know we see the moments from the text, you know from from the the howling at night, you know to the leeches. You know, and and the leeches, you know, again, is is an incredibly famous scene from the the movie. And ultimately, you know, they find the body. And with it, Gordy confronts his brother's death um, and is talked down from the ledge by, by Chris. Now, in the movie, Rob Reiner makes the decision for it to be Gordy to be the one who uses the gun to push back Ace. Puts Gordy in charge. And by using the gun, we see that he's grown bolder, more confident. The scene in the beginning in which he was bullied by Ace has now come full circle, and the bully has been defeated by the victim. And he's taking that one step further into adulthood. Through narration, we learn that Chris was the one who had been murdered, as hinted in the beginning of the movie. We meet Richard Dreyfus one last time as he finishes the story, and thusly, the movie he joins his son and his son's friend, and through the window representing the past, we watch as he takes one more road into the distance again, into the future. So this movie just works. It's just it's just a good movie, um, and a lot of it has to do with Dreyfus, you know, who, who doesn't have a lot to do, but what he does is great. You know, he does an amazing job narrating this movie he contributes to Reiner's tone, never reading his lines with dour importance, but instead he has a knowing playfulness. You know, just look at his narration during the junkyard scene in which he describes the jetted trapper. Um You know, Dreyfus is an actor that, um, you know, lately hasn't done much, uh, but, uh, you know, he's someone between, you know, when Jaws came out to, I'd say, what about Bob? in the early nineties was someone that just was just like a, he was great. He was great. And then after that, I i, I don't really know what happened. Um, he had um, Mr. Holland's opus in the early, early to mid nineties. And then after that, he just kind of fell off the map. Um, but I love it. Whenever he shows up in something, um, he's incredible. He's incredible. And in the two scenes that he's in physically, Um, he does so much with so little, you know, in fact, he, 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 I think he only has like one line outside of the narration, you know, to his kid. Um, and so much of it has to do with just kind of looking, looking at a typewriter or looking at the word processor and looking at the, the newspaper, but looking through the, the, the word processor, looking through the uh the newspaper looking into the past looking within himself and and being able to to convey a myriad of emotions he does an incredible job and of course like i said with the narration itself um he he really helps contribute to tell this story you know literally um but also you know he serves as the heart of this story he does a fantastic job um so now has come the time um where I, uh, I'm sorry. Now it's got the time where I, I I compare the the book and the movie, right? So to see if there's a definitive winner. So let's go through it. Um, book, uh, Vern versus uh, movie Vern. Vern played by Jerry O'Connell. Um, I. No, not i mean I, I don't think that there was much to Vern, the character in the book i mean he serves as the plot point to get the boys out on the road i think that king winds up taking the i the idea of the the fat kid and infusing him with a lot more character um and pathos in it here i think he's played for laughs i think that he is he's our comic relief um but i'm gonna go i don't know i mean this is kind of unfair to stephen king but this movie is just firmly entrenched in 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 pop culture right and and the characters have all gone on i it's not filled with no names it's not like oh you remember that 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 person who was in stand by me um you know they're all filled with people right so Jerry O'Connell is is still around. He's he's still a presence. Um, so I'm gonna say that that book Vern wins in the battle between book and novella. Okay, so book Vern. Now, how about Teddy? Teddy um is played famously by by Corey Feldman, who was a staple of the 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 1980s. Um, now I, in the in the novella, Teddy, I mean Teddy is messed up. Right, you know his ears. the The image that I get of his ears is is so horrific, um, and and his ears are, are mangled in um in in the movie, but I don't think to the extent um, as they are in the novella, which I think just the the act of Teddy's father um, and what he does, and 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 that's how Stephen King. Um, shows that the father's madness is is unique. I mean, I to to hold his son's head down on the stove um, is is truly horrifying. Um, and Teddy also in 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 the book is is so so much you know over the top and and larger than life. And I think Corey Feldman tries, and I think that Corey Feldman definitely brings the Corey Feldmanness to the role, but. I can't help but think of him as Corey Feldman the entire time. It's just, it's, to me, it's just, it's Corey Feldman, (laughs) being Corey Feldman. Uh, And I'm sorry, you know, nothing against him. I mean, he was still a young actor and and he's still super convincing, but there's times I just, as I watched him, I'm like, he doesn't know what to do with his body during a particular scene. He just, he didn't necessarily look comfortable in his body with gesticulations and, and being able to stand and um which is just part of being a child actor and part of it probably has to do with him at that particular age as he was growing but it was just something that i definitely noticed um so i'm gonna go actually with 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 teddy from the book on this one so one point book one point movie um i'm gonna talk about ace now so we have ace Merrill. um Ace from the book, who is barely a presence, right? He comes in at the end. You know the dread of Ace is able to build because we never really meet him. But then you know he does show up at the end. Then we have Ace throughout. You know this, and again, I think that the movie is helped by what Kiefer Sutherland has gone on to do. I mean, this is Jack Bauer here, right? You know, and Jack (laughs) Jack Bauer was a punk when he was a kid. Um, and I don't know. I I just like the fact that he isn't. He's mean. He's vicious. He's dangerous. Um. But he's not. But he's still a. He's still a kid, right? You know. He still gets off on you know doing stuff like, you know, um, you know the just baseball mailboxing. You know, and and the fact that he wants to see a body as badly as the kids shows how much like a kid he is too. Um, And just, I, I just the look of Keith or Sutherland. His his just his his. I don't know, he just looks like a wolf. He looks like a coyote. He looks dangerous. And he just looks so much bigger than the rest of the kids. Um, I'm going to go with Kiefer Sutherland as Ace Merrill on this, even though, even though book Ace Merrill has the advantage of appearing in other Stephen King novels. I'm going to go with um, movie Ace Merrill. Uh, So that's two for Rob Reiner, one for Stephen King. Uh, Let's talk about some of the scenes from the book. Uh, the train scene, um, train scene is great in the novella, but I'm telling you, like I said, I think that he I kinda, he kind of outdoes it. He conveys everything that Rob Reiner conveys everything that Stephen King um, is meant to convey, uh, and and does convey. But he he just does it so just economically, I guess is is the word, um, you know from showing them walking slowly across the, the the bridge right and 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 seeing the river below the slats and then Vern falling and watching the glasses fall and you know uh, Gordy helping him up and touching the, the 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 rail and feeling the vibration and turning and you don't see anything at first and then you see the the black smoke pluming above the the green treetops and it's just so tense um it's done so so well and uh i i have to go with the 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 movie on that um as well as the leeches um so gross to actually look at uh so i'm gonna go with the 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 movie on that um back to the oh discovery of the body all right let's talk about that because i want to i want to i do want to get to gordy and chris um discovery of the body it's a big moment but i think that stephen king is able to he's able to write it a little bit better um the the description of the body stephen king makes it seem like a body it's a body whereas this doesn't seem like a body you know i mean it's called the novella is called the body it's not called the dead person right because it's not a person anymore it's a body it's a thing um, and, and the, the, the novella is able to capture that, that it has ceased to be a person. Whereas it's just, it's clearly an actor that's pretending to be dead and it can't convey the same, the same sensation. So Stephen King, he gets that one. Um, all right. Now I want to talk about, uh, let's talk about Gordy. Okay. Uh, so we have Will Wheaton, uh, Will Wheaton. Will we in famous for uh this and for Star Trek the Next Generation. I think he does a great job. Um I don't know, this one's tough. Um I, I think between young young Gordy from the book and young Gordy from the movie, I I, I need to go with the, the book. Um I don't know why exactly, and it's close. Um but I, I'm I'm gonna go with the 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 book or the novella on this one just just because we have the the benefit of just getting into his mind with him being the narrator. Although I do want to take points off because he did write the the Chico story. Um, but I'm just gonna go with the book. Um, but narrator narrator is gonna go to um Richard Dreyfus. um because Dreyfus just just knocks it out of the ballpark. Which leaves us uh, to Chris. We got River Phoenix, and we have Chris from the book. And River Phoenix, this is this is like considered, you know, his movie, right? This is the movie that everyone talks about when they and actually to to kind of back it up. If you don't know who River Phoenix was, he was an up and coming young actor, and he seemed to have just the world ahead of him. He was gonna be the next not even the next big thing, but he was poised to be a lifelong um superstar. I, I guess probably what Leonardo DiCaprio is, that's what River Phoenix's trajectory was going to be, right? Someone with serious talent that would be around for decades and decades and decades, um, and he had an intensity to him. Um, and, you know, his life was cut down um, short, right? Which, you know, kind of rolls into the, the Stand By Me experience, right? It, it's hard to watch Stand By Me and watch Chris without thinking of River Phoenix and what happens to River Phoenix. So you watch it, and it's about the death of this particular character played by an actor who famously died. Um... And there's a loss there, so it, it, it in an unintentional way, um, and in a very tragic way, it works. Um, and I don't know, I, maybe controversially. Well, all that said, I'm I'm gonna go with the, the novella, because I I just feel as though the um, there there's something about the book version of Chris, that's just a slightly more tragic. You, you get his, uh, his life, um, more than, than you do in, in the movie, and the, the hard work that he puts forth, um, when he starts studying for the classes, and, um, that isn't as conveyed as, as clearly in the movie, um, and I just, I, I think that Stephen King has the edge on that one. Although, it's, it's hard to... Uh, that's a hard one to actually give to the book because of everything I said about River Phoenix. Um, but ultimately, uh, between Stand By Me and The Body, I, I gotta go with Stand By Me. Um, I, I think that this movie um, does so much for Stephen King's career in a way that The Body didn't. Now, The Body, of course, inspired... inspired the... Uh, the book or inspired the movie um so rob reiner you know owes everything to stephen king but in turn it's 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 very mutual um you know i i think that you know rob reiner before this had done this as spinal tap um which is great great movie um but i think that this more than anything else allowed Rob Reiner to distance his all in the family meathead persona and people all of a sudden opened their eyes and said oh my god this guy has talent and when he did that with Stand By Me he was able to do the same thing for Stephen King and he was able to have people open their eyes and say oh my god so Stephen King doesn't just write about uh blood drenched prom queens and alcoholic fathers that want to kill their sons with axes um and vampires that take over towns and um girls that light things you know with with the, on fire with their minds and and rabbits saint bernards there's there's someone that actually has a heart so with this movie he was able to show the world what I've been saying about Stephen King and and that's how he is a a very optimistic writer that believes in humanity and is able to capture um the the truth of of humanity and and being able to capture um certain moments that that matter this 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 particular moment being that that point in our lives when we leave childhood behind and head into adulthood so so that's uh that that's my feeling on um on Stand By Me, and I, it's uh, I don't know, um, I don't know if if people out there agree or if they feel as though the body is better, um, but definitely write in uh, to let me know your feelings at StephenKingCast at yahoo.com, um, and you can you know like us on on Facebook or Instagram or Tumblr or Twitter. And if you have any time, you know, feel free to go over to iTunes um, and write a review because uh, the more um, more iTunes reviews, the kind of more the the podcast itself will will spread. So, everyone that's been listening, thank you so much. Thank you for listening this week. Um, and stay tuned next week as I dive into Stephen King's. Uh, it's kind of coming of age, but it's it's that. That novel um, that all of us in one way or another can can relate to and that's that's about uh, the love that we have of our first car right our first love of our first car and that of course is 1983's Christine so stay tuned uh, next week as I dive into that one in the meantime same King time same King channel Stephen King you